how are we being successful? You know, from the stakeholder point of view, are we getting good feedback? It's a little bit qualitative, but are, are we getting feedback from our stakeholders that it's helping improve their day-to-days? Are we getting questions of, of things we can support or do better? Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in Pursuit of Unicorns. I'm David Carnes. And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps rockstar. This show is brought to you by OpFocus on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. Today's guest is someone who's perfected her ops experience over the last 12 plus years. She's an expert at building both systems and teams. She's also someone who excels at helping startups grow and scale. We've got the VP of Revenue Operations and Strategy at Harness here on the podcast today, Hoppy Mafione. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're so glad to have you with us. And we want to get right to the heart of the matter here. What's something in RevOps that you had to learn the hard way? Yeah, I would say uh, being right is not the same as being effective. And so I think when you come from an ops background, you are, you know, things are black and white and you just know what you want to do. Uh, but if you can have all the right ideas and if you can't convince and show people, then then it's the same as not having the right ideas. So that's something that's definitely been over the past 12 years, something I learned time and time again. Can you give an example of, of where that uh, played out? Yeah, for sure. So uh, one particular project was when we were choosing an ERP system uh, for one of the companies I was at. And we were between two systems and one was a little bit more antiquated. One was a little more SaaS software forward uh, and knew we needed to do the software forward one, but couldn't couldn't show the right points in the right way on the antiquated one. Um, and so we went, we got six months into the project and we had to pull the plug because we realized that the antiquated one wasn't the right one to do. So time, money, energy, effort. And and I, I think in that case, had I just been able to build my case a little bit better and communicated more clearly with the stakeholders, we could have saved, saved those six months. Your company Harness serves software and DevOps I think you're right around um, 800, 900 employees today. I think overall, uh, the company's raised something like 400 plus million dollars in funding. Most recently was a Series D back in April of last year. Can you give the audience in your own words, first of all, just a little bit of context? What does Harness do in your own words? Yeah, so we're an intelligent software delivery platform, uh, and we are enabling engineers to deliver software faster with higher quality and less toil. We talk about toil a lot because there are 27 million software developers, and I don't know if you have friends that are software developers or, or work closely with them, but they spend a lot of their time troubleshooting bugs or being on war room calls on a Friday night or Saturday morning and kind of what I think is most compelling to me about Harness and what we're delivering is helping software developers get their nights and weekends back so that they can enjoy family time or whatever it is they do and also allowing their work days to be to be more productive. So we're really trying to transform how software engineers can can do their their jobs and add value. To support the, you know, 900 almost 900 employees you have on the team, 
Can you give me a sense, first of all, of how many folks are kind of in sales and marketing and what size RevOps team are you working with? Yeah, for sure. So we have about 25, 30 folks in marketing, encompassing product marketing, demand gen, integrated marketing, content, all that good stuff. And then right now we have about 60 direct sellers. We also have the sales engineering team and the um, kind of all, all the supporting roles, channel, uh, sales development, kind of the whole the whole sales crew. Um, and then from an ops perspective, we have about 12 to 14 of us supporting supporting the function. And we've organized the RevOps umbrella to be end-to-end for the go-to-market side. So it's marketing ops, sales, customer success. And then we also include deal operations, tooling, and the go-to-market data team. And we are big believers that organizing it this way helps us support the whole go-to-market. Uh, because so many things are integrated, what marketing does is so closely integrated to what sales does and sales to CS. And so keeping us all aligned to one goal of making everyone's lives easier and helping our teams do the best work has really helped us support Harness as we as we grow and scale. I'm impressed to hear it because you really are describing kind of that poster child, you know, the optimal example of what the ideal RevOps alignment and stack is. Most companies we've spoken to and a lot of the guests on the podcast, they might have part of that. They have marketing ops and sales ops. Uh, maybe sometimes they'll have uh, expanded team around biz ops. But when you mentioned customer success and you've got, of course, um, deal, op uh, deal operations and tooling, I mean, that really is what the folks over at Forrester have always called out as, hey, this is the best in class, uh, optimally aligned uh, set of RevOps functions. It's That's the incredible. dream. <laughs> so. It really is a dream. Um, give me a little bit of context, Hoppy. How much of that were you stepping into already established over here at Harness? And what amount of that did you have to advocate and build on your own to say, hey, this is really what's going to get us closer to being able to support the entire revenue stack? Yeah, I would say it's definitely been a journey over the past four years. So started with sales and kind of as the company grew and things became more and more integrated, it became an easier sell to say, hey, we need to pull this in end to end. So we started with sales and then we picked up customer success. That made a lot of sense, got those two humming together. And then we picked up marketing as we went. And so I would say it took a while to get to the dream, but we were always working working towards it. Uh, and each, as, as we've kind of, expanded our purview. It's been really helpful to have the foundation laid in the in the other groups and and you can add on that other that other piece, whether it be marketing or or tooling or whatnot. Later in the call, we're going to spend some time, of course, diving back into your background and your experiences. I would love to hear from you when we get to that part of the call and for that part of the podcast, how you learn about kind of the expertise in all these different functional areas, knowing that you probably grew up in a particular function more than the others. Definitely. Great. With such a robust team, uh, I mean, I think you mentioned 60 direct sellers, 25 to 30 in marketing. That's a pretty big team to support for about a dozen folks. How do you determine the right balance of initiatives or types of work that you do in-house versus something you might outsource or bring on an outside developer or consultant to do? Yeah, I would say it is a, const a constant juggle and balance uh, for what we're doing. So Right now, one thing that we did in the past six months is we launched a ticket system for the ops team, and that has really helped us balance out 
what kind of questions are we getting? Where can we help scale and enable? And where are we spending our time? Is it on day-to-day stuff? Is it on those projects and initiatives? Or, or is it something lost in between that we hadn't hadn't been seeing? So in terms of outsourcing, this is pretty tricky for us right now. We were actually just having a, a hot debate on it uh, this morning where we have everything in-house and it's we are moving so quickly and building and growing that we, there's, it's a natural tension, but there's still a tension of like, if you outsource it and someone doesn't know the, the three other intricacies to how you, how we built out CPQ and how we built out our NetSuite integration and you have someone come in then like, what's the time risk balance that we have to do. And so in our, in our mind, we're thinking that for outsourcing, it either needs to be bite-sized where it's like, you can just send it off, get it done, and it comes back. Or if it's project size work, we need to have someone that kind of understands the full full tool stack. So we currently aren't outsourcing, but we we think about it often and we're constantly balancing those trade-offs. Those are some great factors you've called out. And the other thing that caught my ear is ops investing in your own ops, right? What you called out as the ticketing system, you know, how do we it, to the right degree while balancing the demands of the growth of the business, better understand also how we are working. What kinds of initiatives are taking up most of our time? What kinds of priorities are we getting from all the different cross-functional stakeholders? If we don't invest in our internal operations, I, I feel like we tend to be the cobbler's kids, uh, don't have shoes scenario. Um, if we're not investing in our own team, how do we better serve the other functional areas? Absolutely. And we have found that with uh, the ticketing system, we have exposed so much of what was happening in Slack because we're a very Slack Slack forward company. The visibility that it's provided the ops managers, the visibility we're able to share with our stakeholders and say, hey, here's the amount of time we're spending on your day to day. We need to have time to do the strategic initiative so you don't have these questions and balance it out. So it's it's completely changed the dynamic of how we up-level our conversations and set priorities. Uh, and so the ops team, we're doing like our, our daily ticket management and weekly, we we do a look back and review, and then we bubble those up across our, our stakeholders. And when you mentioned balancing, it also calls to my attention, you know, the, the balance between um flexibility, being able to respond very quickly, which Slack supports very easily. And of course, the need for some amount of structured data so that you can actually look back and analyze what you've been doing. Yeah. It's also a a nicer way to plug for resources too, when we can stack up that data and say, Hey, here's what we got on. Here's what we got on slate today. I'm I'm curious how much that ticketing system and the data that it's providing uh, drives enablement initiatives. It's it's been big. We have found a couple of areas, both with our quoting and CPQ, as well as with some of the dashboarding and reporting that we have available, where we're getting similar, not quite the exact same, but similar questions where we've come up with two training courses now of how we need to help enable folks to, you know, self-serve, teach them to fish, all that good stuff, and also save the, save the ops team time. So it's been so much easier to see those trend lines and, and identify areas for, for growth and development. And speaking of growth and development, it sounds like the team, uh, even with some of the ripples that we're experiencing in the economy, is still continuing to grow. Are you hiring today and what kinds of roles are you looking for? 
Yeah, we are. We actually have three open roles right now. So one is a Salesforce admin, one is a tooling leader, and both of those kind of tie back to that outsourcing conversation where our tool stack is so integrated that we really we really believe that we need those in-house resources to support the the changes that we we have. And we're also looking for someone on the deal operations team as that team has been crucial in making sure we're selling that new business as well as booking our renewals uh, and want to make sure that we have the support for our, our sellers and customer success team in that way. Bahapi, I'm curious, your, your title is VP of RevOps and Strategy. Uh, what does your day-to-day -day entail? Yeah, um, I would love to pretend that there was a day-to-day -day that was that was all, all the same, but I would say that I kind of aim for typical weeks and we try to have an operational cadence so that we don't lose track of our North Star. And then as things need to be flexible, we, we swap in and out. So Monday, uh, we always do an ops manager kickoff meeting, kind of state of the business, state of what we need to do, anything that's come up. Do a lot of uh, our one-on-ones on Mondays and Tuesdays so that we can have those touch points early with our people, make sure they're they're kind of chasing the right, the right priorities for that week. And then midweek, we're working through tickets as well as the Big Rock projects. And then Friday is really focused on kind of the outside of the business or outside of the RevOps towards the business. So we have the CRO staff call on Friday mornings that I join that helps prep for the CEO staff call on Monday. So we kind of use that as our, our groundwork. And then on any given day, uh, beyond one-to-ones, it's, hey, there's this deal strategy structure question came up. Can we hop on a call to figure out like the best deal structure? Or, you know, we uh, I work closely with our executive assistants to make sure that we're optimizing what our um, execs on the go-to-market team are coordinating and doing. So it might be, hey, you know, we've got this sales trip planned. How do we make sure we get the biggest impact for the, the calls that they're going on on this trip? Uh, or, or And it could also just be kind of diving into some data with our strategic finance team because they're, they're some of our besties in terms of uh, work, work relationships. I really appreciate the cadences that you've laid out. I think that, that all uh, seems uh, to be very well thought out and uh, would really drive success for your team. I'm I'm curious, how do you measure success in your role? Yeah, I would say it can come in in many different forms, and we really try to break it into two parts. So one is kind of looking towards the org we support. Are we helping the teams we support be successful in their own functions? Are we helping them find ways to maximize marketing qualified leads or new ACV or renewals? And then the second part is, are we being successful in our on our own metrics and making sure we have shoes as the as the cobbler kids ourselves? Uh, so we try to blend both those, and then look at you know how are, how are we being successful? You know, from the stakeholder point of view, are we getting good feedback? It's a little bit qualitative, but are are we getting feedback from our stakeholders that it's helping improve their day to days? Are we getting questions of, of things we can support or do better? And then um, are, internally, are we on are we on track for our projects and our high level priorities? Have we slipped dates or, or are we ahead of things? And then are we staying on top of our ticket queue? And then I think kind of the one of the overarching themes that I like to think about, and, and this might just be a little bit of a, a personal goal, but are we doing what we did before? better, faster, and more accurately than we did. So like, have we learned from our past experiences? Because we should always be learning and improving and, and iterating. I wonder if a lot of RevOps teams can ever catch their breaths and get around to that. Yeah, you know, barely. Yeah, <laughs> barely. 
So, so I'm curious, Hoppy, what keeps you up at night? Yeah, besides my three-year-old and my one-year-old, or uh, <laughs> so, um, I'd say that for for me, it's it's caring about how the RevOps team is doing and making sure that we're feeling connected and learning even in the remote hybrid world. So I think obviously COVID's COVID's been a three-year ongoing. Things have changed drastically. We're really trying to balance the osmosis that we would have gotten in the office with new team members coming on board or that cross-functional marketing sales CS kind of kumbaya. Uh, so we're doing a lot with like, we have daily standups. We do uh, water coolers on Friday where we're not allowed to talk about work. It's like off limits. Um, and then really encouraging like, hey, pick up the phone or start a Zoom or Slack huddle. So what keeps me up at night is making sure that we're still able to help our teams learn and grow and develop, even though we're sitting in, in different states or, or zip codes. And I'm, I'm curious, your team is growing, you're hiring. Uh, have you had any challenges justifying the team's growth given the current macroeconomic, macroeconomic environment? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it's a it's a popular tagline out there, do more with less, and it's all about efficiency, not growth at all costs anymore. And I think because the ops team is is behind the scenes and you don't always, uh, it's it's sometimes hard to show, show what you're doing because a good ops team can basically make anything look easy. Um, so we are we are definitely threading that needle and we've definitely had to kind of support what we're doing. Part of the reason why I love the ticketing system so much is that it, it's given us that data versus I know you love me and need us uh, to here's why you need us. Uh, and so we also are trying to do uh, kind of up-level our conversations on projects as well. So we're doing requirement docs, we're doing project plans, and we don't we don't believe that most stakeholders need to know the minutiae of a super cool like Salesforce hack that we did to make everything work beautifully. But we do want them to understand that like it is a, a week-long project or a month-long project and that there's a lot of thought to go behind it so that they understand that it's uh that that work is work is needed, if you will. So based on what you've described about your team, I suspect that you own corporate. Uh, level cross-functional initiatives. Uh, are are there any examples uh, of those that that you can share? Yeah, for sure. So we we do, and we we kind of love being able to stitch those pieces together because we get pieces of each each conversation. Uh, one that we often uh, enjoy because it's so hard is pricing and packaging. So whenever we are launching a new module. It, there's both the, how are we pricing? How are we enabling on it? How are we getting it out there in the market? And then how are we doing it on the system side? So that's that's one cross-functional initiative. The other is we really value like license utilization as a metric for, can we expand customers? Are there churn risks? What do we need to do? And so we're kind of in that mix where we can work with product and engineering to understand what they're doing from products like stickiness metrics or things in the product that they know are, are going to keep a customer happier. And then we can blend that into the sales and CS conversations on expansions and, and renewals. And then also even bring that into the marketing conversation, which is kind of one of the more fun stretches, because if we could get, if we know in the free trial world, what's, what's catchy to, to bring in leads, we can, we can kind of get some of those features surfaced in the, in the free trial. So that's been another really fun one. 
you know, a lot of what you're mentioning, Hoppy, seems like a very intelligent and wise way to more deeply integrate what used to be maybe seen as more of a reactive function in ops to actually helping with how can the business do better in some of its core functions. Pricing and packaging, you mentioned the metrics utilization. A lot of that sounds very much like a PLG motion even. How do you ensure that your customers stay engaged? How do you ensure that you flag them to CS if they're starting to show some of these churn risks? Um, would you say that that direction is something that has been more grounds up uh, that you, for example, as an ops leader has kind of gone up and say, hey, we have the vantage point and capability to help support in these ways. Or is that something that's come a bit more from the top down, you know, the board or C-suite being like, hey, we need you to help with these areas of the function? Yeah, I would say a little bit of column A and a little bit of a column B. I think there's that as a company, we're really thinking about PLG and we're thinking about that customer engagement. And then as an ops team, we're given that flexibility to surface insights that we see that others might not. And so by having that high level company priority, it gives us just enough of an inkling and direction that we can kind of surface up whatever whatever we're seeing. And it's kind of a really nice merging of the, the two bottoms up and tops down there. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense that it's really working collaboratively. And I think the remarkable thing, every time I speak to an ops leader, when ops leaders are able to find that strategic space to be able to proactively offer up recommendations and ways to enhance the business that maybe no one else is able to identify from their perch, I think that's incredibly powerful. And it, it brings me to kind of that dynamic that you might have with your senior leadership team or even with helping communicate with the board. Can you share a little bit about how and, and what kind of cadence are you involved in or do you help prepare for the communications and the recommendations that you might have to the C-suite or to the board level? Yeah, definitely. So we, uh, board decks, I think are one category to talk about and executive QBRs are another key category. So in the terms of the board decks, work very closely with the strategic finance team and uh, the RevOps team owns the go-to-market board deck slides. So we have about 10 slides that are rinse and repeat that we always that we always do. Um, and so for those, we've got it set up in our BI tool, very kind of packageable for us. And then we also look for those insights and things to surface that aren't necessarily in our in our run rate board slides. And what we do is we, uh, about two weeks before the board meeting, I'm meeting with the CRO to talk through the insights and what he wants to surface and bring up. And then about a week before the board meeting, we're meeting with the CFO and CEO to talk through, hey, here's what we're doing. How does that fit into the broader story, especially as the CFO is, is overarching you know, working out those overarching overarching themes. So I think from a board deck perspective, it's a really nice blend of we know what we always need to do and we get to have that creativity to explore new things. And then in the executive BRs, we're doing those quarterly and it's kind of the e-staff comes together and tries to find things that we just don't know otherwise or tries to surface things, where can we do better? Or what has been working and we should go to next it. And so those are some of the most fun because as much as it's nice to have repeatable metrics, the exec QBR is really a playground for let's find how we can step function increase and improve the business. And what happens is when we come up with something cool in the exec QBR, we then 
merge it into our run rate metrics. And then it becomes something that we're always looking at and making sure we're tracking. And then the next exec QBR, it's like, hey, what what new can what new stuff can we find? I I there's so many things that you just mentioned, Hobby, that gets me quite excited. I think for uh it's kind of two parts. One is the way you're framing how you think about those kinds of board presentations and metrics in a lot of our conversations, it almost seems like, you know, it's such a stressful, it's such an important meeting that it's easier to stick with what you know to be tried and true. This is the stuff they care about. But the way you just described it is that it is an opportunity to say, are there other things we should be looking at? You know, your your use of the term playground, and then also finding this opportunity to say, how do we bring some of this KPI that we we've been identifying and and merging it into what our normal kind of ongoing presentations are. Um, I know a lot of ops leaders can be hesitant to introduce new metrics. How do you kind of balance to say, Hey, if we are going to introduce this metric, we're going to need to present on it for say, at least the next number of years, forever. (laughs) Forever. (laughs) How do you, how do you balance that? Like the innovation that comes with, uh, looking at your data in a very analytical way versus just like sticking to the basics. Yeah. For board meetings, we have a much higher filter on what we might introduce. So if it's fun and it's cool, but it's not something that we think is is a repeatable cadence, because once we show something to the board, they do always want to see it the next, you know, you basically, you can never get, you can always add, but you can never subtract on those decks. So for those, we kind of have a higher bar of, is it impact oriented? Is it going to move the needle or do we need the board's help? And that's when we'll, we'll do it. Or we'll even try and often we'll put it in a special section, like a special topics. So that way we're not, we're not trying to incorporate it into the run rate, but we're, we want to talk about it and discuss it. And then with the exec QBR, there's a lot more flexibility because it's, it's an internal meeting. And I think all the execs want to encourage that exploration and and to uncover rocks we might not have. So that one where we're much more flexible on, hey, we can try this exec QBR. If we want to look at it next, great. And if if not, that's okay too. That's a great distinction. And I like your tip of saying, these are special topics. These are things we might want to delve into because we need your help on something, board members, but this is not something we're going to cover every single time. Yeah. The other question is a lot of our listeners on the podcast they are folks who are up and comers in RevOps. They're very curious on how they can help step up and improve and uh, support their heads of RevOps uh, in this very stressful time, which is preparing for the board, board presentations. Would you have any recommendations or suggestions of how folks can actually pro-offer their support or do things that will help make your life easier? Yeah, I think um, there's relative relatively straightforward path to becoming indispensable when you're making your execs lives easier. And so one thing that kind of to frame it for the team, when we're thinking about presenting something, it's can the exec digest this in in a TLDR, if you will. And uh, if you serve it up to them, does it save them from having to think through hard things for an hour or two because you did the hard thinking and then you just let them make a decision or not. So it's really thinking about Again, it's it's definitely a service role and it's a service role. And if you think about like, how do I make my exec look the best they can or give them the most that they need, it helps you, it kind of gets out of your own skin of like, how do I progress my career? Uh, because like 
you know, I think everyone wants to to drive their career forward. But if it, if you're thinking about it in terms of how you do it for yourself, you can kind of get wrapped up around the axle of how you present it and what you're doing and how it looks for you. Whereas if you if you one idiot and say, how does this help my boss progress? How does this make him or her look like a, a champion? Um, it, it kind of, it, it, it almost loosens up that conversation. And then I, I've never had a boss not be grateful um, for, for at least the assistance or they're trying. So Hoppy, um, <clears throat> I'd love to uh, shift gears and talk about technology for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, is there a tech stack tool that you just couldn't live without? Yeah. Well, ironically, we are so stuck on Slack that I I have a total love hate, but without Slack, we wouldn't have real-time conversation and alerts. And and so totally wedded to Slack. But separate from that, we are really leaning hard into Gong. Uh, And so the ability, especially in the hybrid world and and a world where you can get field sellers, uh, you know, you can give them feedback because they're not out on the field. Some of them are, are having the virtual meetings. We've been using that for enablement and for coaching and for also identifying gaps where, you know, if something is coming up as, as a same sort of blocker over and over again on one of our tags, we can go have a conversation with product about it and, and talk through it. So Gong has been one that um, we're really leaning into lately. Well, those are both interesting. I'd like to ask questions about both. So with regard to Slack, have you done much automation within Slack? Yeah, we have a fair bit going in terms of both alerts of tickets or for our sales development team leads coming in. And and we try to balance the like noise of Slack with like value add, but because it's always open on everybody's screens, we're trying to automate it. I I personally, when we have a ticket come in, I'm looking at it and responding out of it out of Slack instead of the ticket agent desk. So we're definitely, uh, we're, we're fully invested there. Oh, that's great. And uh, I'm, I'm curious with regard to Gong. So you mentioned using it for enablement and for, for coaching. Um, does product marketing uh, follow up on trainings they've done and key phrases that they want used and measure? Yeah. Yeah. Gong is one adoption. of those it's like org wide tools where our, even our engineers listen to it because they're trying to get feedback from customers instead of having to go do 10 customer calls, they join with product marketing and dive in. So it's one of those org-wide value adders. Oh, that's great. And uh, for reporting, where do you go to get an at-a-glance view of how the business is doing? Yeah, so we are heavily invested into Salesforce reporting and dashboards, particularly for like day-to-day, like be, be live, live and breathe for our, our sales and sellers and marketing. We also use Domo for some of the BI work that we do with our finance team uh, and kind of marrying the Salesforce data with some of the financial data and, and taking it to the next level. So it sounds like the perfect blend. Uh, I, I get excited and did my little dance hearing about Salesforce reports and dashboards being used. They they absolutely should be used up to a point and there's a point of which they can't go beyond, obviously. And that's where these other other tools come in. But it sounds like you've hit that balance. Yeah. Did you finish your book? I did. It's coming out in July. Woo-hoo. Oh, congrats. Yeah. I love that. David's passion for Salesforce <laughs> in-house reports and dashboards is unparalleled. And we are all very excited to uh, get our hands on David's newest book. Let's do a little bit of looking ahead. We've asked you to do a lot of ref- looking back hobby, you know, sharing things that are happening currently at your company. Um, and I've kind of got two questions here. One is, what do you think might be the next big disruption to RevOps specifically? 
Yeah, I'm going to be a little cliche here. And I think AI is is everywhere right now. And it's a hot topic. And I personally don't tell my husband because he's all about it. I'm a little bit of a skeptic, a little bit nervous about it all. But I do think it's it's truly transformative in the RevOps space. I think there's a lot of stuff we do that is data quality, data grind, repetitive. And if there are ways that we can automate out some of the, let's say the daily DQ that our that our admin is doing, then like, I'm all for it and let's go. And I, I think there's a lot to work out there, but I do think AI will touch every aspect of um, of, of what we're doing. And, and if we can make sure we focus on the right things that add the most value to start, um, then I'm, then I'm less of a skeptic. I, I really like that. I think, um, the, the whole advent of chat GPT in the last couple of quarters has really brought AI more to the forefront again, more to the public knowledge and awareness, and also, um, more to every user's daily life. Um, I think, the the cool thing is you know going back to how can ops do ops better for ourselves right if there are things where it just seems like hey this is so manual like there should be a more automated solution like there should be an alternative to having a human review this manually every single day yeah exactly exactly i i have to confess i also uh use it to tell me a formula to convert a date not because i couldn't figure it out by googling it but because i was tired and lazy and i was how do i do this date conversion and it it popped right out so i feel like there are little micro wins in there too yeah that's great good that's a good use case i wonder if david has a little section like that in the book to say instead of figuring it out yourself just ask chat gpt yeah if if the einstein gpt was a little further along we might have but in version 2 version 2 yeah related to this first question you know you mentioned hey if my salesforce admin doesn't have to do that daily dq wouldn't that be great we would be freeing them up to do all these other things is there a RevOps activity that you would personally like to fire yourself from on a regular basis? Definitely. I would say account ownership disputes are like the wow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I think what's so caught up about them is one, they're always going to be there. Like there, I, I don't think there's any way around an ownership dispute as much as you might have guardrails and rules of engagement and all that good stuff that we do. I think what is really hard for me is you, if, if I, if I take out all feelings and emotion, it's like, fine, make a call. We've got guardrails. But when you think about like, oh, okay, well, this could be someone's like, you know, if I take this account and assign it to, to Bob instead of Sally and Bob goes and gets a million dollar deal instead of Sally, like that's, I, I feel like there's a heft and a weight to those because the ones that are becoming disputes are the gray areas, the ones that the rules of engagement can't solve for you. Um, and so I, ju- I just feel like there's a lot, a lot behind them and you want to be so diligent and thoughtful and they're the devil. So, <laughs> yeah, I think you're calling out the nuance again, that ops might be behind the scenes, but Hey, every single day, our work is all about empowering and supporting users and actual people and, and who's, who's dis- our decisions will affect their li- livelihood in terms of work and, and, and personal success. Yeah, exactly. Who gets to go to club? Who gets to buy their new car, garage? Who gets to send their kids to college? Like that could be on that one account ownership. It's a big deal. Yeah, certainly. So Hoppy, in the first part of the podcast episode, we learned from you. And in this next part, we want to learn about you. 
so you're based in Denver, Colorado. You studied economics at Harvard. Uh, seems like we both have a boarding school uh, in common in our background. Good old Andover. Yeah. Your, your prior position, you were uh, the VP of go-to-market and business operations at Mark Forge. Um, I'm sort of really curious about how did you get into this SaaS RevOps thing in the first place? Yeah, completely by accident, but it was like the best accident uh, that I that I could have wished for. So when I started... Uh, I graduated. It was a 2008 crash. Getting a job was any job was was success. I was fortunate enough to find one in San Francisco doing portfolio management. And I would say I was like 90% Excel jockey, one of those one of those kids in the corner without your mouse because you could hotkey your way through. Uh, and after about two years of that, I realized I, I I thought I wanted to talk to people more. Uh, so I did a 180 and I went into supply chain management. And then I realized that well I think I want to talk to people more. I don't want to talk to people that much. Uh, and I was having coffee with a friend who was at a, a tech startup and, and suggested that like there's a really nice blend between analytics and, and operations and, and people stakeholder management. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to find a marketing ops role at Meraki at the time and then got even more fortunate that we were acquired from Cisco about two years later. And I got to see a, an entire integration acquisition and really grow through that in my in my skill set. Oh, that, that's so interesting. You, you've been with Harness now for almost four and a half years. Yeah. You could go back to day one on this stint and give yourself some advice. What might that be? Yeah. Well, today I would say turn on Salesforce multi-currency if you have an organization that started before 2018 because you will pay for it every day thereafter. But that's that's very that's very specific to today. I think I'd really give myself the advice that and, and I'd give that I give myself the advice, the pep talk I gave myself today is that we're, we've got to balance the future possibilities with the needs of today. And that so much of what we're doing is about trade-offs, not necessarily solutions. And that you know, there might be a perfect solution that we need in three years, but that's not really what we need today. So looking at that six to 12 month windows and then really engaging the stakeholders early and often so that everyone understands like here are the trade-offs we're making because here's what we're solving for in the in this time frame. And I think that that really should just be the sticky note on the bottom of my monitor for every day. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I, I agree with you about the multi-currency. In fact, I put a tip in the book about, hey, if you think you ever might use this, go ahead and turn it on now and build your reports and dashboards off of the converted columns. But yes, wish I, wish I had read your book four years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, so given all that you've done and, and the, the path that your career has taken so far uh, to date, uh, what what's out there on your career bucket list? Yeah. You know, I think there's like a very seemingly traditional kind of path towards COO that I, I definitely think about. And I, I love stitching together the cross-functional pieces that we do in RevOps. And I think the COO job kind of expands that across the org. Uh, but I think there are so many different paths out there. And I'm a big believer that you have to be open to, to the opportunities that that present themselves to you. Uh, and that you can also have as many careers in your life as as you want to want to take. So I've been thinking a lot also about like, there's so much great tech expertise, but in the tech world, but we also like, I feel like I live in a tech bubble for sure. And, and the people I talk to are very tech centric, um, but talking to some local small businesses and, and understanding how much 
a few tips and tricks can help local businesses has lately been appealing. I helped a yoga teacher set up a Google form for her, some of her classes that were outside of kind of just like a, a stand up yoga paddleboard class. And like for her, it was life changing to see how a Google form could help her not deal with emails and texts with, with clients. And so there's something really appealing to me about helping people in their day-to-day lives and have that impact. And so I don't know where that leads or how that leads, but um, it's definitely on my like career career thought list. Yeah, well, that kind of mentoring or uh, consultation can just be so rewarding. Yeah. Uh, but I do I do sort of have a hunch that you're on that COO path, uh, uh, just given all that you've done and all that you can do. Yeah, it's comp- it's compelling for sure. Hoppy, I want to close the loop on something we touched upon a little bit earlier in the podcast. And that's really related to kind of the ongoing learning required as it relates to the vast expanding kind of set of functions that ops ends up owning. Your background is in go-to-market and biz ops. You've had a whole variety of roles in that function with these ever expanding sets of roles that kind of come together that we call rev ops. Uh, including some very fast changing fields right now. CS being, you know, one of the ones in the forefront uh, with retention being so important. Uh, marketing ops being another one. The technology just doesn't seem to slow down at all. Where do you personally turn to for RevOps learning so that you can actually stay up to speed, not just in your kind of core areas of experience, but also in all these other functional areas that now roll up to you? Yeah, I would say network first and foremost. And it's, it's, What's neat about revenue operations is you can find help really from anyone in any space. So like if we're trying to solve a marketing ops problem, I'll go to my friends in the marketing space that are experiencing different challenges and triangulate like, hey, what are you seeing in the marketing world and, and how have you solved it? And then similarly, like with, with the strategic finance folks and marketing. So I think and this this ties back a little bit to, to what keeps me up at night too, is the reason I care so much about cracking the hybrid nut for folks is that how we ask for help and how we learn really is people dependent, even in this virtual world. And I, and I do believe that relationships go so, go so far. So I have Slack groups with former employees, former colleagues, you know, text, WhatsApp threads, whatever. So just constantly keeping in touch with folks and never being afraid to ask, like, there's no, there's really no bad question when you're trying to figure something out. And then of course the good old Google um, is a, is a resource that, that we, I often use that as like that first pass, that like rough draft. Okay, like what are the 10 things we need to triangulate in Google? And then we can go ask more informed questions within our network and, and across the board there. You're almost teeing me up perfectly because one of the other burning questions I have for you is, you know, given that so much of that learning is happening on the job and with people, you know, we're asking trusted contacts in the ecosystem. How do you solve this problem? How did you handle this? Are there some folks that you regularly turn to for your RevOps questions who you think would be a great fit for this podcast, for them to share their experience and their wisdom with the broader RevOps community? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask that. And I I, <laughs> I honestly don't have RevOps folks because I so often turn to the stakeholders. So like definitely have a RevOps network, but I more often find that I'm calling my finance friend or marketing friend or customer success um, friends to, to get a feel for just that, that triangulation space. Um, so I, I might have to rain check and get back to you on that one. 
<laughs> yeah. And I think there's something really powerful about what you just said. You know, if we're asking only folks that are doing the exact same role and job as we are, uh, it's easy to be in an echo chamber. But in reality, you know, when we can go to different stakeholders and they will tell us the pain from their perspective, from their perch, that's a very, very powerful thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then when they highlight and underscore exactly what you're hearing from your team, you know that you really should listen to the, to the folks you've got too. So it's, it's a Let nice- Let me ask in a slightly different way then. Are there go-to blogs, books, uh, people you follow on LinkedIn, podcasts, uh, you know, whatever it might be out there where you kind of use and lean on to keep your knowledge fresh. Yeah. I, um, I would say that from a, like, I, I think there are a couple of different ways to keep knowledge fresh too. And so from a, how are things structured and going, um, Joined some RevOps roundtables with folks like um, Sequoia recently hosted one where they got about 12 of us together and we were able to volley together. So again, going back to the people versus the, the online spot for the RevOps. And then from a tooling perspective, I think uh, there's a there's so much out there that you can, again, again, Google and then triangulate on. And so really whatever the top blogs are for that tool in particular, or so like, hey, if we're trying to solve something for Marketo, we go deep into all the Marketo experts or something on Gainsight deep into those. So I would say that um, I, I go broad, um, but don't have specifics. It's kind of whatever whatever tool needs to solve that problem is, is how we try to cast that net. Great. Very, very cool. My last question for you, Hoppy, is really around how you personally manage the intensity of the role that you have, what do you do outside of work to unwind? Yeah. So I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. So they, they're kind of like the, they're unwinding from work in another way, but we have um, lots of fun at playgrounds. And I have found that they've given me such perspective of just letting go because there's such glee when they go down the slide or sit in the swing that I like, it's really forcing me to be a little little more present. Um, but when they're taken care of by someone else, I really enjoy uh, road biking and gravel biking. So out here and we're in the foothills and we have some great, great gravel roads and great, great road biking roads. So that's my, that's how I get the, the angst and uh, energy out, let's say. Uh, that's amazing. Um, so uh, where, where can people uh, find you uh, online? Uh, I, I know you've got a LinkedIn profile because I was just looking at it. Uh, is that where primarily can, people can find you and reach out to you? Yeah, I also um, from way back have a website called Hopshop Consulting um, that I have to get back up online because I uh, didn't do my credentials because they like you to re-credential. Um, but yeah, hopshopconsulting.com. And fun fact is I also um, bake for fun. And so I also have a website, hopshopbakery.com that also needs to be re-credentialed, but will be soon. <laughs> so. Well, very cool. That's super. So we're yeah. going to check both of those out. Um, and can you can you share with us the the Harness website? Yeah, harness.io. And I'm assuming that's the best place to learn more about more about the company. Yeah, yeah. And we've got a bunch of great blogs and a bunch of great great webinars on there as well. Well, Happy, this has really been a pleasure. And uh, I think as always, I love hearing about the personal stuff and it makes me want to ask more questions about, you know, about the, the bike rides out on the roads and, and baking and all this. 
Um, you shared with us so many things about how you've structured your team and how you interact with uh, others in your organization. You talked about ticketing, you talked about account disputes. Um, it's really a pleasure. I think uh, I learned a lot during this and I'm sure our, our listeners did as well. Thank you. Yeah, it was great to, great to join you both today. And I'd also, of course, like to thank our wonderful, ever-growing listener and audience. Uh, we love the interactions and questions you've dropped in the RevOps Rockstars LinkedIn page. Keep those coming. If you learned something today from Hoppy, like David and I both did, please tell someone about the podcast. Follow, share. Let's help the RevOps community continue our learning. Hoppy, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you. And this has been another exciting episode of RevOps Rockstars. See you next time. Stay classy, Rockstars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For show notes and other episodes, visit RevOpsRockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by OptFocus. Visit OptFocus.com to learn more about how OptFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations.